today finds you doing well. Um, we're going to start with prayer. There's loads to pray about, with all that's going on in our world. Um, kind of give you an idea of what to pray for. Pray for, our, of course, all of our leaders, our local, state, and national leaders, our president, congressmen, everybody that's having to make decisions about what to do uh, for our communities. Pray for our church and for our church family. Pray for the other churches in Guyman, uh, that we can all minister to the people in our community. We can care for the folks in our churches. We can do the things that need to be done. Pray for the staff of Texas County Hospital. Uh, I think I saw we've got a new CEO coming in sometime this week or so, so pray that will go well. They will be safe. We now have at least one case in Texas County of coronavirus, so pray that those who deal with this person and deal with whatever other cases may show up, that they will stay safe, not get sick. Pray for Dan Stiles, the board, the staff, and the residents of Dunaway Manor. Pray that Dan and the board and the staff will have wisdom to do what needs to be done. Pray the residents will stay safe. Pray that Dan and the rest of them, they will all stay safe as well and not get the virus. Pray for our our teachers, students, and our local school boards as they try to get everything ready so the students can go to school and finish out the year strong. I would say pray especially for our seniors. I know this has to be a disappointing time for them as it looks like there may not be a graduation and a senior prom and all of those kinds of things. So pray for them. Pray for those in our community who are classified as the most vulnerable. Uh, Pray they will be safe and they will follow the regulations and stay in and not get sick. Pray for those who are affected by the coronavirus. As I said, there is at least one in Guymon or in Texas County that has it. Uh, Potentially more could arise from that. So pray for them, but not just those locally. Uh, Pray for missionaries and, and others all around that we know that are affected by this. Pray for those who are anxious and fearful. As time goes on, people are going to be afraid. They're going to get more afraid. So pray they will turn to the Lord. They will look to Him for strength. and They will look to God to be their refuge and their place of, of shelter. Pray for our churches and believers to, to minister well, to have faith, and to encourage people to trust in Jesus. And then pray people would turn to Jesus during this time of uncertainty. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We, we gather today in the way that we're gathering, Lord, with a desire, Father, to meet with you. First and foremost, Lord, we, we want to meet with you. We know, Lord, we are not together in one location. We are scattered throughout our community. But, Lord, you are omnipresent. So, no matter where we are, watching this video, where we are gathering with our church family. We know you're with us. Let us to be aware of your presence. Make us to know you're with us. Let your spirit calm our hearts. Let your spirit strengthen and encourage us uh, to be faithful ministers for Jesus in this time. God, our president and our other elected officials, as they try to make decisions about what needs to be done, Father, give them wisdom and give them godly counselors. Let what's, what decisions they make that are wise and godly, Father, let those things prosper. And if they make decisions that are foolish and ungodly, Lord, frustrate them so they would not come to pass. 
We ask you to protect and guide our in our community, guide the new hospital CEO as he comes in. Help him to him or her to to mesh well with the staff that's there to hit the ground running, to know what needs to be done. Continue to protect our medical staff in this town that they would be disease free and and they would be they would be courageous. Lord, not be afraid of what might be coming. We pray that you'd bless Daniel Stiles and the staff and the board and the residents of Dunaway Manor. Continue to keep that place free of the virus. Uh, let none get in there and let none of the residents get sick. Give Dan and the, and the board wisdom as they seek to make decisions and help them to do what you know needs to be done. Guide our church and the other churches in our community. Guide us that we would all be beacons of hope in this community that, Lord, through Christ, we would offer hope, help, and healing to our community. Uh, and, Lord, use this time to cause people to turn to you. And when people are afraid, let them see that there is a, a rock, there is a fortress, that there is a God who hears and cares and reigns over all humanity. Let us point to him and let us be examples of faith and confidence in you. Have your way in all things, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I read a story this week about a pastor who had a bricklayer friend and he wanted to give him a gift. So he sent him a basically like a care package of assorted items for the, the bricklayer and his family. But one of the items he sent was a trowel. But it wasn't just any trowel. It was a really expensive one, kind of handcrafted, very, very nicely made. Uh, and as he sent it off, he, he had in, in his mind the way the bricklayer would use it. And and he just kind of envisioned the bricklayer using it with pride and it helping him to, to build houses and walls and all of the things the bricklayer would do. Well, some months later, he was able to go visit his friend. And when he got there, he found to his surprise the bricklayer had put the trowel on the chimney and set it up kind of like a knick-knack to look at. When the pastor asked him about it, the bricklayer told him that the trowel was just too nice to take out, to get dirty, and use. This led the pastor to conclude the trowel had never been of the slightest use to his friend, the bricklayer. Now, I thought about that story, and I thought, I think that there is, a, in some ways, the way many people view the Bible. Right? They, they put it up and they treat it with respect. You know, it doesn't get used as a coaster. They don't let their kids draw in it, they don't tear out the pages, they, they, they kind of keep it maybe even in a place of honor where people can see it. If you were to ask them, they would gladly pick up their Bible and show you they have a Bible, but they don't ever actually use it, not for its intended purposes. And my fear is that many people in our day, they, they sort of see the Bible, and they wouldn't say it this way, but they sort of see it as a good luck charm. Right, I have a Bible, so all of the blessings that the Bible talks about, these will be mine because I have my Bible up on my shelf. Look, there it is. But the reality is the Bible, if it's just setting up on our shelves, it's of no actual use to us. Right? It doesn't do what God intends if all we do is have it and keep it but never read it. The Bible is not meant to be a decoration. The Bible is meant to be a weapon in the hands of a disciple of Jesus. It's meant to be used to fight spiritual battles, to stand strong against temptations. 
Uh, the power of the Bible, it doesn't come just from having a Bible. It comes from using the Bible in the way God intended. And as we're going to continue our study in the armor of God today, we're going to see God intended the Bible would be a weapon in our hands. If you have a Bible with you, open it up to Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. I'm going to read all those verses, but verse 17 is our key verse. And here's what it says. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Title of the message this morning is The Sword of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for the weapon you've given us in your word. Help us as disciples of Jesus to understand the importance of the word, to understand how we're meant to wield it. Let us take it. Let us trust it. And Father, let us use it to stand strong in the evil day and having done all to still be standing. When the time of temptation, the spiritual battle is over, fill me with your spirit this morning. Help me to have clarity of thought, to speak your word and your ways for your glory. Open our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us and use this. Something to encourage us and make us to be able to go out and be lights that shine brightly for Jesus. And everywhere we go, we ask this in Christ's name for his sake. Amen. Now, the Roman sword was both used for defense and offense. Right, Of course, it was used to fight off, to kill the enemy. It was used to hack and to stab uh, and just to keep the enemy at bay. The sword for the Christian is the word of God. Now, there are two different New Testament words used or that are translated as that, that translated to talk about the Bible, talk about God's word. One is logos, and typically that seems to refer to all of the Bible, from like Genesis to Revelation, to everything we have from God's Word. Then there is the word Rima, which refers to a specific or an individual word. And the word Rima is the one used here by the sword of the Spirit being the Word of God. Now the picture of the, the, the Bible being, uh, the Roman short sword being used here, and the word Rima uh, has a couple of important implications for us regarding spiritual battles. The first is as Christian soldiers, we are infantrymen on the front lines when it comes to combat. Right? In battle, there are two basically groups of soldiers. There are those who are in the trenches fighting the hand-to-hand -hand warfare, and there are those back at the back doing something else. As disciples of Jesus... We are on the front lines. We are engaged in hand-to-hand -hand combat. That's why we have a sword. Not a cannon, not artillery, not anything else. We have a sword which puts us right up next to our enemy. 
A second implication is that when we use the sword of the Spirit in spiritual battles, it's not that we use the whole Bible, it's that we use particular parts that are pertinent to whatever spiritual battle or temptation we're facing at the time. Right, let me show you an example of this. Uh, if you have in your Bible there, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4 is the temptation of Jesus. He is baptized by John. The Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove. The Holy Spirit then leads Jesus out into the wilderness where Satan tempts him. And notice what the Bible says here. Then Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him and said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up to the holy city, and sitteth him on the pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and on their hands they shall bear thee up, lest thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, Satan taketh him up to an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And Satan saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Every time Satan tempted Jesus, he responded with, It is written. And then he would quote a particular passage that dealt with that particular temptation. Now, Jesus didn't respond to the temptations by saying, I believe the Bible. He did, but that's not what he said. Rather, what Jesus did was he used particular words, particular passages dealing with that particular temptation. That helped him fight a very specific battle at a very specific Moment in time. That's what we're to do. This is the example we are to follow. We should, and we'll talk about that, believe the whole Bible. But in the time of temptation, in the time of a spiritual battle, just to say, I believe the Bible. It's not the sword of the Spirit that's going to help us to fight. It is a particular passage that deals with the particular issue we're facing. So what I want to do this morning is I want to show you. Two ways that we can follow Jesus' example in using the sword of the Spirit to fight our spiritual battles. First is, know the Bible. When Jesus used Scripture in His time of temptation, He quoted it. He had prepared for spiritual battle by studying Scripture and knowing it well enough to quote it. In the time of temptation. And to quote a particular passage that helped him overcome the particular temptation he faced. We too must know scripture well enough to find a particular passage to help us in a particular moment of need. Now, I don't know if we necessarily have to have it memorized. It's not a bad idea. It's certainly a helpful to do. 
But I don't know that it's necessary to have large portions of Scripture memorized to fight spiritual battles. However, we do have to know the Bible well enough to know what it says about the particular issues we're going to face. About the particular temptations we deal with in our life. And this means we have to study the Bible. But it's not enough to read Max Licato. It's not enough to read Chuck Swindoll or John MacArthur or Charles Stanley or any other author. It's not enough to read daily devotionals. We must study the Bible. As disciples of Jesus, we must know the Bible so we can use it to fight our spiritual battles. This takes time and diligence on our part. Time and diligence we must put forth. But this isn't just my opinion. The scripture says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, there are four aspects to that verse I want us to understand this morning. One is we are told to study. right? And the word study carries with it the idea of diligent or being diligent. Listen to how one of my commentaries explained the word translated as study. It says to make every effort, to labor, to be diligent, to do one's best, to work hard, to endeavor, to give all diligence, to be zealous, to eagerly strive, to exert oneself, to make haste. Now, here's the question I want to ask you. Does your study of Scripture, can it be described as making every effort, as laboring, As being diligent. As doing your best. Working hard. Being zealous. Should. We are to study. To be zealous. To be diligent. To work hard. Second, we are called workers. Third, we are to be diligent workers regarding Scripture. And then finally, we are to be diligent to study to be workers, to be diligent workers regarding Scripture so we can rightly divide, so we can properly understand Scripture. It takes effort to properly understand Scripture. It takes effort on our part to study and and to, to get in the Word, to find out what a passage means so we truly understand it. And if we want the Bible to be the sword of the Spirit which helps us in our day of temptation, helps us to stand in the day of battle, we must be diligent to properly understand what it means. As Americans, we are exceedingly blessed. I mean, we have all kinds of access to the Bible. We have Apps on our computers, apps on our phone. We have websites like Bible Gateway. If you were to Google, how can I get a free Bible? There would be thousands of answers. And all you would have to do is put in your address and a Bible would be mailed to you for free. We have more access to the Bible than virtually any generation before us. What a blessing that is. But do we take advantage of all of this access we have? Are we diligent workers 
who study the Bible to ensure we properly understand it. Listen, it does take a diligent worker to study the Bible, to properly understand it, to fight spiritual battles and win. It takes a diligent worker who studies the Bible so they can properly understand it to fight, to use the Bible to fight the temptations we face. Now there are two ways we put this idea of studying to show ourselves approved unto God into effect. First, it is just a, a general study of the Bible. But I, I cannot begin, I cannot overstate the importance of regular, disciplined, systematic study of the Bible. So there are plenty of plans out there to help you to systematically study the Bible. I mean, there are read the Bible in a year plans. There are read the Bible chronologically plans. There are read the Bible in two year plans. You can find them on version. You can Google them and find them. At the first of the year, I put out the McChain Bible reading plan, which is a read through the Bible in a year. But there are so many different ways to do it key is just to do it. It is so tremendously important to have a regular, disciplined, systematic study of the Bible. Second, we have to do a topical study of the Bible. But a topical study of the Bible is to study what the Bible says about a particular issue. In our case of what we're talking about today, we want to know what the Bible says about temptations. We want to know what the Bible says about spiritual Battles, But not just any temptation and not just any spiritual battles. We want to know about the particular temptations we face. Now, every one of us are tempted by something. And whatever it is we're tempted by, we're familiar with it. But what is the temptation you give into the most? What is the temptation you feel most often pulling at you from inside of you? Well, that's what you need to study. That's what you need to get in the Bible and find out what does the Bible say about this issue. But not just what does the Bible say. We want to find out what does the Bible say about how to avoid giving in to this temptation. What does the Bible say about God's mindset regarding this particular temptation or issue. Let me take a few minutes and I want to show you some scripture and some common temptations, some common spiritual battles we face. And as I show these scripture and I read them, notice how scripture says to respond to these temptations. Notice what scripture says God feels or thinks about these temptations. Right. So first, lust. Lust is probably the most common temptation in the world. So what does the Bible say about it? Flee. Youthful lusts. Not stand and resist it. Not try to overcome it in the moment. But flee. If there's lust at the time you're on a computer. Shut it and get up and leave. If there's lust in a conversation with someone. Stop the conversation and walk away. But not just flee the lust. But also follow after what is righteous. Follow after faith. Follow after love. Follow after what brings peace. And do it with others. That call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. So 
What does the Bible say about lust? Well, the Bible says I'm supposed to flee from it in that moment to pursue what is good and to get others to help me if need be. Or what about anger? Anger is a very common temptation. We're in a time right now where the world is stressful. And in times of stress, people respond in anger. What does the Bible say? Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You know, the old cliche says God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. We're supposed to listen twice as long as we speak. So when I'm tempted to anger, what do I do? Well, I listen carefully before I speak. I, I became very slow to speak so I don't speak in my anger. And then I realize nothing I do in anger is going to make the world a better place. My acts of anger aren't going to bring about God's righteousness. It's not going to make it better in the situation. And that helps me to flee from it. Or piddling. Piddling is just when you're supposed to be working, you're doing something else. This is a this is a Ross gene issue. I don't know, you may not be a piddler, but in my family, piddling is a big issue and I can easily get sidetracked. Right? I can be supposed to be doing something, go to YouTube, and it's just like a black hole. And it'd be hours before I come out if I'm not careful. So how do I fight against that? What's a Bible verse? Well, the Bible says... See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fool, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. So the Bible reminds me not to be a fool, wasting my time, but to, to redeem it, to buy it up, to make the most use of it, because, because we live in an evil day. Or, or gossip. Gossip is a strong temptation. Right, especially like we that's a one of the stereotypes of a small town world is is gossip. So what does the Bible say about that? Well in Proverbs eleven and thirteen it says a tellbearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. So here's what that means. If I'm about to, to tell some gossip, what I need to think of and what the Bible says is one, I'm revealing a secret and I'm not faithful, right? A faithful person conceals the matter. Man, who wants to think they're an unfaithful person? We don't. But if I gossip with my mouth, I am. So I think I don't want to be unfaithful. I'm going to keep this. And I'm not going to share it. It also says in, in Proverbs 17 and 4, A wicked doer giveth heed to false lips, and a liar... Giveth ear to a naughty tongue. Oh man. So not only does it say something about my character if I share gossip. It says something about my care if I, my character if I listen to gossip. If I give heed to false lips and to a naughty tongue. It shows that I am a wicked doer. Right? I do what is wrong and I am a liar in and of myself. So when I am tempted... Somebody's starting to gossip and I'm tempted to listen because I want to know all the juicy details. I remind myself this. I don't want to be a wicked doer. I don't want to be a liar. So we shut the conversation down and we move on. Materialism. Obviously, in our culture, an enormous temptation. Enormous spiritual battle to fight against it. Ecclesiastes 5 and 10 says, He that loveth silver... 
shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. So what's the help there? There's just never enough. But no matter how much I have, it's not going to really satisfy me. I'm always going to want a little bit more. So when I'm tempted toward materialism, I'm tempted to be greedy, to be selfish, to hoard. I remember, it doesn't matter how much I get, there's always going to be that desire for more. This will not satisfy. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19 and 20, Lay not up for yourselves treasure upon earth where moth and dust, moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust, rust corrupt, where neither thieves break in and do not, where thieves do not break in nor steal. That was bad. Um, so what does Jesus remind us? So not only does that, this stuff not satisfy, it's really not, it's not eternally significant. Right? It's not going to last. And rather than focusing on all of this material treasure, I should focus on eternal treasure, which will last, which will be reserved for me in heaven. Or how about a struggle with the flesh? Right? This is just like an all-consuming, it could be anything. Just my sinful nature wants to act. Well, I can remind myself, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. What that means is I have no obligation to do what my sinful nature desires. But as a disciple of Jesus, Jesus has set me free. And I am free indeed. And while my sinful nature, it tempts me and it pulls me and it tries to guide me. I don't have to give in to it. There's, there's something within me because of what Jesus has done. The Spirit within me gives me freedom and I don't have to follow it. And I can remind myself of that. So I can overcome that temptation. And then complaining. Complaining. Again, a big temptation in our culture. Scripture says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you sign as lights in the world. So Scripture teaches me, one, to do everything. Everything, everything, everything. Without griping and complaining. And to do that so that it will be evident I am a child of God. And in doing so, it will enable my light to shine in the world. It will help people see Jesus and the difference He made in our life. So when I'm tempted to complain out and about, I can say, but Wait. Everybody else is griping. Everybody else is complaining. If I stop, there'll be something different about me because of what Jesus has done. Perhaps this will open up an opportunity for me to share Jesus with someone today. And then fear. Fear, of course, right now, massive issue. Scripture has a lot to say about not fearing. Two of my favorites. Psalm 23 and 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. In a time where fear abounds, we can remind ourselves, my God is here. He has not left me. He'll not leave me. He'll not forsake me. I'm not alone. Another, uh, 2 Timothy 1 and 7 says, 
For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So when we're tempted to be overcome by fear, let that panic, that anxiety control us. We can say, I know that's not God. God has not given me this spirit, this attitude of fear. But He's given me something different. Now clearly this is not an exhaustive list, but it does give you a good picture of how Scripture speaks to the temptations and spiritual battles we face. Our need then is to dig into Scripture and find out what it says about the temptations most common to us. About the spiritual battles we face most frequently. And once we find passages dealing with that, our need is to diligently study it. What does this mean? How can I respond? What is God's attitude? What do I need to know? What do I need to do? If you have like a a reference Bible of some sort, follow the connecting references to get an idea of what does the Bible say in, in all of its various places it speaks on this issue. What does it say about this? The more we know like that, the better we can fight our temptations with Scripture. The more we know like that, the better we can fight our spiritual battles. Now, this all takes time and effort on our part. In fact, it will take considerable time and a lot of effort. But keep in mind what Scripture called, what we're told is that this is our primary weapon. We're to take up the sword of the Spirit to fight spiritual battles. Weapons take time to master. I mean, I don't know how long Romans spent learning to swing a sword effectively. But I know how much time the United States Army spends training their infantry soldiers to be able to use a rifle. You spend hours and hours and hours at basic training. Learning the basics of being able to to clean, to fire, to know the distances and the ranges of your weapon. To be able to accurately shoot in, in the time when you need it. But it's not just at basic training. Once you graduate and you move on and you become a, a full-fledged infantry soldier, you're going to get to your unit and you're going to be issued a weapon and the hours and hours of training is going to continue. But soldiers must know how to use their weapon. They must be proficient at it. More than proficient. They must master the weapon. If they want to fight and win their battles. As Christian soldiers. Disciples of Jesus. We must master scripture. To the best of our abilities. And there is no way to do this. Outside of diligent work. Effort on our part. And our Our willingness to put forth the effort and take the time demonstrates how important our spiritual lives are to us. And our willingness to put forth the effort and take the time determines whether or not we'll win the spiritual battles we face. We must know the Bible. And secondly, we must believe the Bible. When it comes to using the Bible to fight spiritual battles, there is a fundamental question we have to answer. Do I believe the Bible? 
Now this may sound simple. And of course, if you're watching this live stream, you know what the answer is supposed to be. The bigger question, is the right answer you're supposed to give the real answer you do give? If we are to fight and win spiritual battles, it must be. Knowing the Bible does not do us any good at all if we do not believe the Bible. I mean, think about this. Many atheists know the Bible well enough to explain certain doctrines, maybe to even quote the Bible. Listen to this quote. Well, I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah, and that He rose again from the dead, by His sacrifice our sins are forgiven, you're really not, in any meaningful sense, a Christian. Now that quote could have been said by any conservative evangelical preacher in the world of any time. But it wasn't. It was said by an atheist named Christopher Hitchens. An atheist who actually described himself as an anti-theist. Yet he knew enough of what the Bible said to articulate an important doctrine in the Christian faith. The uniqueness of Jesus and the necessity of Christ for salvation. Yet that knowledge did him no good at all. Because he did not believe it. See, the Bible warns us about this. The book of Hebrews 4 and 2. It says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Now, this passage is given in the context of a warning not to follow the example of the Israelites who didn't enter the promised land after being delivered from Egyptian slavery. Now, let me kind of remind you of the story if you don't know it. The Israelites were delivered. Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt to the edge of the promised land. God had done many signs and wonders to get them out of Egypt to the edge of the promised land. He had provided for them miraculously. He had led them with a pillar of fire at night, a pillar of cloud in the day. And they got right up to the edge of the promised land and they sent out 12 spies. And the 12 spies went to the promised land. They came back and they said, it is indeed a good land. Everything we've heard was true about how great it was. And then 10 of them added, but, but, there are giants in the land. And we can't possibly take it. If we try to cross over and conquer the land, we will die. Two said, no, no, if God is for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. But the people listened to the evil and the unbelieving report of the ten. And they chose not to enter. They said, we're not going to go because if we do, we're just going to die. God was angry. And so God said, you're, you're not going to enter the promised land. You're right, you won't get to go in. You're going to wander in the wilderness until... This generation dies and the next generation, your children are going to rise up and they're going to take the promised land. Now God had told them the promised land was theirs. God had told them He would do what He had said. He had demonstrated His power. They had seen it over and over again. They knew the story. 
I mean, they, as slaves, they had known the story for hundreds of years that God would lead them out of Egypt and into a land of their own. They knew the truth. God had, they knew the promise. They knew the promise of victory. They knew the power of God and the promise of His victory over their enemies. Their problem wasn't a lack of knowledge. They knew all the right things. Their problem was they did not believe. Because they did not believe, the knowledge did them no good whatsoever. They didn't inherit the promised land. They didn't experience what God had intended for them to have as they went over and as they conquered it. It is great to study the Bible, and as I said, we must. It's great to study and to know what the Bible says about the temptations we face and what the Bible says about the battles we deal with. However, that knowledge will not do us any good at all if we do not believe what we're reading. If we do not believe what the Bible says that knowledge will profit us nothing. We won't be any different than the Israelites who knew all the right things but missed out on the promises of God. There are two aspects of belief that must be present. First, we must believe the Bible is right. If I say the Bible is right, if we say the Bible is right, what we're saying is the Bible is right even if I don't like what the Bible says. Right? Because if the Bible is only right on the things I like, then I'm what's right and not the Bible. If I say the Bible is right, it means the Bible is right even if it goes against my natural inclinations. Because again, if the Bible is only right when it agrees with me, then I'm, I am the ultimate arbitrator of truth. If I say the Bible's right, I have to say the Bible's right regardless of what issue it talks about. Because when I begin to pick and choose what issues the Bible's right about, again, I am saying I am the standard. I choose what's real. I choose what's right in the Bible. If I'm going to use the Bible to fight spiritual battles, to defend against temptations... I must believe what it says about my battles, what it says about my temptations. The Bible is right. Secondly, I must believe the Bible is real. Not only must we believe the Bible is right, but we must also believe it's real. I am afraid many professing believers in our day believe the Bible is a pie-in-the-sky ideal of what should be, but it's just not real as to what can be. And yet that's not what we see. I mean, when we look at Scripture, it's not presented to us as, if everything is just right, this would be wonderful if the world worked this way. Instead, what the Bible lays out is, this is the way it is. And that means... I can flee from temptation. I can do all things without murmuring and complaining. I really don't have any obligation to do what my sinful nature desires. 
My shepherd really is with me as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. God really hasn't given me a spirit of fear. There really are treasures laid up for me in heaven. Right? None of those things that I, that I mentioned earlier, none of those things are a pie-in-the-sky ideal. They're, they're real. They're the reality of life as it's laid out in Scripture. as the way God works the world. And that's a part of what we have to believe. We have to believe we really can do what Scripture says we can do. We really can not do what Scripture says we don't have to do. Do you believe the Bible is right? Do you believe the Bible is real? It's kind of a profound question. But our answer, our real answer, will determine our ability To use the Bible to fight spiritual battles. If I don't trust the Bible. I don't believe the Bible. I won't use it to fight spiritual battles. To resist temptations. I will try to come up with my own way. Or I will read what someone else has said. And I will try to come up with their way. And I will fail. Soldiers must have confidence in their weapons if they're going to fight and win the battles they face. Spiritual soldiers must have confidence in their weapon if they're going to fight and win the battles they face. Believing the Bible is right, believing the Bible is real should motivate us to put forth the effort To study, to see what Jesus would have us to think about a particular temptation or battle. Believing the Bible is right, believing the Bible is real should motivate us to study the Bible, to see what the Bible says, what Jesus says we should do as we face a particular temptation or a particular battle. We put forth the effort because we know The Bible contains the guidance we need to fight and win spiritual battles so we can stand in the evil day and having done all to still be standing. Our ability to fight and win spiritual battles, it is almost completely dependent on our belief the Bible is right. The Bible is real. This is our primary offensive weapon. And if I am not confident in my weapon, I cannot confidently fight the battles I face. And without confidence in the weapon, without the weapon, I'm essentially unarmed. And there is one general truth To all battles, unarmed warriors lose against armed warriors. It doesn't matter if we've seen the Punisher or Rambo or some other superhero type war movie. In battle, dudes with guns win over dudes without guns. In spiritual battles, our enemy has weapons. 
the enemy with his weapons will win against us without a weapon. We must believe the Bible is right. We must believe the Bible is real. Now for some, believing the Bible is right and real, it's going to begin by believing what the Bible says about Jesus and your need for the salvation offered through Him. It's going to begin by believing the Bible's right when it says you you need to repent of your sins. You need to turn to Jesus and call upon Him for your salvation. It's going to mean that you believe the Bible's right when it says that as a person we have sinned and we have fallen short and we need the grace and the goodness of God purchased for us through Christ on the cross. And it's going to begin by believing it's real so that we turn from our sin, we turn to Jesus and we call upon Him to save us. Everything starts there. Nothing else matters if we have not repented of our sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where everyone has to start. Now others, perhaps you you do have repented, you have believed, you're a disciple of Jesus, but you don't have a regular, disciplined, systematic study of the Bible. You don't study. You don't, you're not in the Word like you should be. But your need today is to, to do that. You can get a hold of me and I'll give you a Bible reading plan. I can get you one. You can get on your Bible app if you have a version. Man, there are more Bible reading app or programs on version than you can shake a stick at. There, you can Google. There are so many ways. You can... In, in two minutes, you can have a systematic Bible study to start. It's just up to you to do it. I mean, it, it is totally up to you to find the plan and to start the study. Then there are those who have trusted in Jesus. Maybe you do study but you know there's things in your life that are out of whack with what the Bible says. The Bible has said, thou shalt not, but you are. The Bible has said, thou shalt, but you're not. For you, the need today is to repent of that, to turn from it, and to say, God, I'm sorry. I want to bring my life into conformity to the Word. I surrender to you. I'm going to do what you've told me to do. However you need to respond, you you must do that today. There is a need right now for you to respond. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and devotion. We thank you, O God, for the Word. We thank you that it is our sword of the Spirit we can use to fight. Thank you it is right. Thank you it is real. Thank you we have such access to it in America. Let your Holy Spirit fill us. And just give us a hunger and a desire for the word. That like as newborn babes we would cry out for the milk of the word. And Lord there would be a a desire for the word that is greater and stronger than any we've ever had before. As we get into the word open our minds. And help us to understand what it meant. What it means. How we live it out in our lives. And give us confidence in the Bible. That we would begin to fight and win the spiritual battles we face. Bless us and guide us. Help us to do your will in all things. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. All right, before we close, I want to mention a couple of things. First, the financial needs of the church, they continue despite the fact we've suspended our personal gatherings. 
There are multiple ways that you can give. You can mail your check in to the church, uh, Northridge Free Will Baptist Church, P.O. Box 1707, Guyman, Oklahoma, 73942. Lavina picks up the mail uh, at least a couple of times a week. So if you send in a check, she'll get it and it'll go in. You can drop off a check when I'm at the church. I'm here most weekdays. Uh, when I come in, is it varies, but I'm typically here at noon. Right, So noon and one at that time, I'm almost always here at that time. So you can bring it by here and you can give it to me, put it in a sealed envelope and I'll make sure Lavina gives it. Or you can give online. I'm not going to read that address to you. I'll share it on Facebook later. Uh, but you can get on that. And if you go through that, that it goes straight to the church, straight in there. Uh, it's just a great way and an easy way to give. You can set that up so that it's a one-time gift or... You can set it up so that it's a weekly gift and you don't have to worry about writing a check or giving any other time. You put this one time in, you select it to be your weekly gift, and every week it will continue. Also, I want to invite you to join me tomorrow, Monday, March 30th, for a night of prayer for our hospital, our health care workers, for the manor and its staff and residents. So what we're going to do, for those who can get out, is we're going to drive up. To, since the hospital and the manor are basically kind of on the same block, uh, drive up and, and park at 7 o'clock and then pray. Pray for the hospital, pray for the staff, pray for the new management coming in, pray for whatever patients may be in there, and then pray the same for the manor. Pray for Dan Stiles as he is the director. Pray for the board. Pray for the staff, the, hosp- uh, the, the manor, and the residents there. When you, If you drive up and do this, be sure, of course, don't block the emergency drive or anything like that. Don't get out of your car. This is a time where we're still social distancing. We're going to stay in the cars and pray. If you can't get out at 7 o'clock tomorrow night, just pray. right? And we're joining with Cimarron County is doing something similar with their hospital. Amarillo is doing something similar with their hospitals. So we're gathering with believers kind of all over our part of the world, praying for our medical community and for some of our most vulnerable. Let's be sure to be a part of this. Right, the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Love you guys.